I think the thing too that I forget that I want to remind myself too is advice to personally is like remember what you find funny that's uniquely yours and only you have that and like try to deliver that even if you're not even if other people are long have been doing comedy so much longer than you try to remember what you find funny and when I've been able to connect with that that's been exceedingly helpful in ways that I like have never dreamt. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. This weekend, we've got Petey Diabru headlining Big Hunt. Petey is one of the fastest rising comics in New York and has performed on Comedy Central. Also, we have a new free show on Tuesdays at Big Hunt where comics will be working out new jokes. So if you're deep into comedy and want to see a looser, more experimental type of show, check that out. We now have over 60 shows every month at venues across the city, so there's something for everyone. You can get info about all of them on the website. Our guest today is Brittany Carney. Brittany is a very funny comic who started right here in Washington, D.C. She is the first comic to ever go from being an audience member at Big Hunt thinking about trying stand-up to being a regular at the Comedy Cellar in New York City a little over five years later. In this episode, she talks about what that experience was like. I'm so happy to be back. It always makes me like feel comfortable and also re-inspired, you know. Oh, good. So how long ago did you start? I started in late April of 2014 here in D.C. So five over five years. Yeah. Wow. It goes by fast. I know. Seems like you're forever like a two year comic. I know. But the funny thing is, part of me definitely has that feeling uh-huh. like I am uh-huh. right yeah and first of all that's how I was tr- like I think treated <laughs> for a long time of course and so then I kind of in turn internalized that yes and then the other part of that is that when I think about those days like I don't know the first even three years it feels like a different planet it w- or but it's definitely the first year it is a different planet it is you like are, you're certainly on a different planet now I'm on a different planet like mm, DC comedy is on a different planet uh-huh. Big Hunt here is on a different planet yeah. like the whole machine is a different planet y- for tr- yeah for sure for sure it's different uh, f- people who, you know who have seen come and go like f- so how did you start what made you start the first time um okay so I was finishing oh in like fall of 2013 I was finishing graduate school but I only had one class Okay. And then somehow, so I basically had like freer nights. No job? Day job? I worked part-time at a museum. Okay. That was like relevant to my All grad right. program. So you're, uh, you had time on your hands. So then my friend was like, hey, there's this like Benson ball thing. Do you want to go? It's like a friend, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that I, you know, a close like female friend in D.C. What venue? And, uh well, that oh, it was at the Howard Theater. It was when there was that showcase at the Howard Theater. And now I remember it like vividly. Was like Brody Stevens had, uh, hosting? I don't remember if it was Brody Stevens, but Jamel. I think we okay. Was Jamel, Jamel Johnson was Mullen, on it. Jamel Stavros. Um, they were all on it. Dana Bell. Adam Friedland maybe was on it. Was I on it? Yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went. Brody to that? Stevens hosted that. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Oh well, my I was gosh. just We were just talking about it last night. Uh, rest in. Uh, Rest in power. Yeah. So, um, That's kind of bizarre. What an interesting, I didn't realize that cause I didn't know enough about. Right. Yeah. Comedy. I, last night, uh, Sammy, I think it was Sammy was hosting and somebody said something and he goes, and he just repeated it and goes, yes. 
and it sounded exactly oh like Brody my Stevens. Gosh. And I was like, wow, that was yeah. set, that was like a Brody moment out of nowhere. I think he shaped a gen- generation. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that was cool. Um, I didn't, you know, I knew about him a little bit at that point. Right. Um, yeah, and he he was wild. Uh, really as a peculiar. Host. I later learned like his politics were kind of interesting. He's like Repo- I don't know. Anyway. I mean, he's a just kind of out there guy. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's like really what it is. He's just sure. a, he's just a strange strange guy. Um, but he had his tambourine out for that. He had his tambourine. I don't remember. He did his oh, whole. He yeah. did the whole Brody Stevens thing where he comes out with the tambourine. He was doing kicks, like kicking his legs up and like. Uh, what the hell? Yeah, that's what he does. He's that's like a, so a hype man. So. I remember being at that show, yeah. and then uh, I kind of, like, something else, too, had clued me into, like, the idea that there was just, like, a local comedy scene, and I have a background in theater, and I don't know what really, I just had Fear Nights, I got, like, obsessed with going to local oval mics, and not even oval mics, just, like, random weird shows, there was that place called The Dunes, do you remember that? It was, like, an art space in Columbia Heights. Oh, yeah, yeah, and up, up uh, above the getaway? Yeah, and people ran shows the there. It was Ruth like and Bucket, Bucket, and also like um, Jason Nunez and people, and I, you know, and I yeah, yeah. got obsessed and Milner, and I went to so many mics and also just like local shows to the point that I was kind of bringing friends, like starting to drag friends with me, uh-huh. and I got really into it like every yeah. week, and I got really interested in the performance aspect of it because like I was hearing the same jokes but like in different yeah, contexts uh-huh, and energies uh-huh. and it's to the point where now people say like hey what turn up seed and then benji later were like yeah i remember you in the audience and i just kind of creeped on shows for a while and then i was somewhere and maybe oh this was a show actually at the dunes and then my friend who had initially like we, we, we went to shows together sometimes we went to like wonderland for example she was like you should sign up for an open mic and i was like i don't know how to write a joke what uh-huh. and then she asked simone for me where would you go to try comedy for the first I, time that's very common a friend will a friend si- doing that a friend will say it's like yeah. a sixth grade dance yeah, because the person who want, who's considering it uh, doesn't, you know, is too shy. But the, but yeah, the friend doesn't so care. Shy. The friend doesn't give a shit because they're, they're <laughs> not the one shit. doing it. No. Um, She's just trying to, like, kind of stir things up. Like, but like, it, it you know. worked. So, well, the funny thing is that I remember this. I was like, what did he say? And she said, oh, uh, like, planet something. And turns out that was Science Club. Oh, yeah. Like, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so somehow, so ultimately I, like, and I had, so then maybe the week before, I ever did so I'd signed up for an open mic at science club like three weeks in advance yeah and then the week before I went to it it was like Thursdays and I remember that it was kind of a rougher night and I felt like terrified like what did I get into and I had you mean watching the show before you went up because it was like no no this night was not the night I went on it was like the night before I was scheduled to get on oh I see and then I kind of just went to go watch and I was really stressed because it was like a rougher night. And uh, I had, I remember this really vividly. I had conversations with two people, uh, Natalie McGill and then Madi, who had, were just there. And I think they just kind of recognized me from like hanging out at Mike's creepily. Yeah. And I had a conversation with Madi that I won't forget where I asked him. Uh, and now I actually have a lot of appreciation for this because I find it so annoying, you know, when people, uh, I shouldn't say that. You know how it is when people come up to you and then they're like, oh, how do you... It's like you think there, it's just going to be a genuine conversation, but then it's about how they want to start comedy. Oh, of course. And that can be so draining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I 
appreciate this. I I was like, oh, I was like, I'm just starting for the first. I'm like doing my first album next week here, and I asked him this. Like, I was like, how would you describe DC audiences? And then he said, well, they're overly miserable and overly educated. And mm -hmm. I won't. I like always remember that. Sure. And then the next week, I. I don't fully agree with that. What do you think? How do you describe it? I they're definitely overly educated. Um, yeah. But I don't consider them to be miserable at all. I would just say I would say they're liberal and sensitive and overeducated and. Uh, yeah. And that and that's it really. I mean. I think a lot of people here have like comfortable lifestyles and salaries, so I think people are often here just kind of living, doing whatever, whatever mm -hmm. they're interested in. They like. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, yeah, like their their lives are going well, and then and then they're just like they show up for the show, and they're ready for it, you know, if it's good. And then it's like uh, to comics, if they don't get exactly the reaction they want from yeah. the audience, it's like people in DC are miserable. It's like you're the one who's miserable, dude. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. miserable. Actually, they're perfectly satisfied with their lives. They're coming to see a show. And comics in DC are lucky, I think. Because co audience members here tend to have a really wide range of like references, so I feel like in turn it shapes Definitely. a sharp comic. You Absolutely, you can reference you can reference really smart things. Yeah, and it kind of like ranging. I don't know, just like world stuff to like movies to especially especially international shit. stuff. International stuff you can I think. Um, so anyway, that was like my first. So then I did my first double mic at Science Club, and I was really scared. And I remember that I was like number 13 on the lineup and so i had brought i like lost my pen and i was really anxious about losing track of when i was on yeah. so with eyeliner i like made hash marks on my arm like not, a prisoner not creepy at all <laughs> i know and somebody recently was like you shouldn't i don't have any tattoos but somebody close to me was like what if you made a ta your first tattoo was like 13 hash marks where you did it yeah. and i don't know it's a bit melodramatic for my taste yeah it's a little too too much for your first open mic i know as especially like where i am now like it's a bit yeah, presumptuous cares, like i'm yeah. not that into it like uh, that's not what i'm drawn to but i just remember the experience of writing those hash marks and then i was really scared and i brought had some friends there and then um it went fine it went as like well as it could yeah. go like uh, i think i was like excited and then i like bombed so hard for the next several weeks but sure sure i remember really so what yeah. so you went up that time and then after you were done what was your plan sure. to stand up? I don't know. Okay, so I had this like nervous energy, which I think helped me do well. Like yeah, I did. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, people, I, I've heard this among people who sometimes their first set is like great for some reason. And I literally had seven friends there. And my cousin, it, like, it, like does, I had it does help you. And you, it's a small room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a small room. Uh, and then, um, so then, oh, Max Rosenblum told me, okay, if you, you want to get better at this, you have to do this like at least three times a week. I was like, okay. And then I kind of came back the next week and then I did it. And then he told me that he was going to tell you about, it. and this, so five, I had done five open mics at science club. Uh -huh. And then somehow you put me on the Wednesday open mic here. And I remember watching like Milner and people and I would come here on like dates, like before even all of this, I, came here to just big hunt in the bar on like okay cuba dates and then i started doing that for like data like i would like come here with guys to the watch the show but i was like more i was yeah, like really yeah, intrigued by funny. it part of what happened was 
we had a lot of turnover around that time. And this is what happens from time to time. People come in in, in kind of groups and they become friends in groups. And yeah. then when some of them start to move, sometimes a bunch will move at once. Uh-huh. Right, right, and right. that was uh, we just had a bunch of people move around that time. And that yes. was w- opened up a lot of I spots. Tyler Richardson had just left. Yeah, Tyler had left. Stav. Uh, I think Mullen left. Yeah, Mullen, Sarah Armour, Dana Bell. Oh, you know what I remember really vividly? Underground Comedy had that, you put on the showcase at, what's that place on 8th Street? Like a rock and roll rock hotel. hotel, yeah. So I went there with my friend before I ever started stand-up. And I really uh, remember, like, Adam Friedland was on it or something. Or, like, no, wait a second, wait a second. You, it was at a show at... Then I went to that, and then there was another show with, like, Foodie at um, that bar in Petworth Looking Glass Lounge. Oh, yeah. And Adam Freeland was about to leave to go to New York. Yeah. And so that was, like, right before I started. So those guys, I had watched them a lot, just creeping right. on local shows. Yeah. Yeah, so then it was time to, like, bring in some uh, fresh faces. And so you got you got thrown into the mix very early. You really got yeah. thrown in much earlier than is normal. Is normal. And I learned that kind of i mean yeah actually right i learned that kind of like quickly and i feel like in an interesting way where other people that had started either just after me were like getting more regular like host spots here for example and i was like wait where did they come from and then i realized that they had like they were like it like helped it like forced me to work harder does that make sense oh you're saying that once you started getting spots you felt like other people were kind of kind of came out of nowhere and then i was like oh they're getting like host spots here and like what does like that who mean? Do you mean who yeah well like eddie and ross i just remembered like i didn't really know them yeah but then i started to kind of see them around and then maybe i think we started at the same time but then they were like more in virginia like a draft house and stuff and yeah. i just didn't yeah, yeah like know about that really uh-huh. and then then i started seeing them more and then i remember seeing them host here and i was like oh what what okay i have to like push myself in some direction but i don't know yeah you realize like there are a limited number of spots and like yeah and there are always people coming from behind also like there's always new people coming on board and i think even then the machine the it was like accelerating yeah you know the development of like the the show underground comedy Uh uh empire machine Uh uh-huh so um yeah i yeah i remember that i i so i remember like uh i remember the first time i remember i was so excited the first time that you changed that sunday show to wonderland ballroom because that was the first time one of the first times i like performed at wonderland ballroom and it meant a lot to me yeah wonderland yeah wonderland used to have a much better reputation oh it was like a but and as like a great as like it was one it had some of the best shows wonderful like weird comedy shows yeah um really well kind of done lots of like talented people on it yeah and then yeah now i mean i think yeah so i was really excited to move that sunday show grand central was a terrible venue that was a big mistake uh (laughs) on my part which i think i might have said like on the last episode but uh yeah it was a true mistake and it was a great move going to to wonderland and that's a great show now on, on sundays yes always packed too and it's it's a nice uh, change to get out of Dupont. Yeah, it, yeah. And then uh, what else? Oh, I remember the Monday show here. 
Yeah, that was really fun when we had I the Monday that. show. Yeah. I really love that Twitey hosted. You know, like, we're starting a Tuesday show now. Yeah, so. I just heard that. That's so really that'll kind of be similar to that Monday vibe. Of right. It'll be more laid back and it'll be more experimental. But it'll be good because I feel like the people that are coming here for that are really here to kind of totally tune in and watch. comedy. Yeah, really true comedy fans. The people that come out early in the week. And think of how different the audience is from that time. Like, yeah, it's, it's very different. It's very different, and it's it's people that are willing to watch comedy like get worked out that's not worked out yet right on the weekend stuff's worked out like you're you know when you show up you want to see a show and i think people feel comics feel that pressure to want to try to deliver and that came that as like a phenomenon i think with kind of developed pretty quickly yeah definitely you know or yeah because it was it got hard to get on immediately because as yeah. soon as I started it, a lot of people wanted to do it. So then there were more people that wanted to do it than there were spots right I, right from the beginning. I think I somehow managed to start in just the particular pocket of time where like it was like in the transitional period. Right. Like these like people were leaving and uh-huh. then yeah, you yeah. were about to really no, launch perfect into timing something for big. Yeah, so perfect that timing. was very helpful. Yeah. Thank no, it's <laughs> no, it exactly perfect timing. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because you got thrown in to these shows really early and then you developed along with everyone else. Sure. And then, um, you know, you ultimately got a chance to, you started being on shows with headliners and you started yeah. having some headliners like take interest in you and in your comedy and want to help you out. Yeah. What was the first, reason. what was the kind of the first I, step thing do you like think that? to, so ultimately you end up moving to New York. Mm-hmm. What do you think was, sure. Was there like a moment where you're like, oh, this is starting to open the door for me? I have actually a really specific memory where, um, okay. Oh, Wyatt Cenac was headlining Big Hunt. Right. And I had, I was like really excited about it. And Uh I literally, maybe two years before, maybe I had just started comedy Uh at this point, had he headlined the Black Cat with Phoebe Robinson and Haywood Turnipseed. And I really nervously went up to Wyatt because I loved The Daily Show and I like tuned in all the time. And yeah. then I like asked him to sign my notebook and I told him that I was like six months in or something. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that funny? And yeah, I still yeah. have that like sheet from that notebook where he signed. He was like, good luck with our comedy career. <laughs> sure. And so then years later, he was headlining and then I asked you if I could potentially like host or something. Uh-huh. And I remember that I was like, like Ahmed, you had, I think, had asked Ahmed first and like he was the preferred person. Obviously, he's like, a lot more experience. More experience, yeah. Like, and then you gave it to me one night by chance. Or maybe, I, I can't remember. Yeah, maybe I think it was actually just one night. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe he wa- he wasn't available for one of them yeah. or something happened. Or I, I think know. that's what happened. And I then some, so like one of those shows I got to like, there was like my first 15 minutes. And some other friends had come that had come to my early, early, early like m- mics and stuff. And yeah. then um, that just went well enough for Wyatt to be supportive uh-huh. and he was like okay let me know when you're in New York you know yeah and he, we had like a nice conversation about whatever and then uh, at that point I was starting to go up to New York for like random bar shows yeah uh, and so then I went there for like something along those lines uh-huh. and then Wyatt through a series okay basically I like I was like oh what do you recommend watching and it was the last night train show and he was like if you're still around on Monday then I'll put you up for five minutes on the like the last night train, which is like a which long, which is like a big, it was like a really uh, 
big show in Brooklyn on Sunday mm-hmm. nights. Uh, it was at Littlefield in the yes, end. Yes, and very fun. Uh-huh. Great, like, like wonderful. A li- like a small kind of theater. Yeah, and I think had built up a yeah. sort of community over the years. It was we like a five-year anniversary in the last show. We get like a hundred people yeah. in the audience for the show. Um, And he threw me, and I remember my hands feeling like, ultim- like in, and not ultimately, like immediately balmy. Like when I got that Instagram message, I was like really nervous. Yeah, and I could scary. feel the sweat. And I was like pacing around and I was, you know, I, I remember I was visiting um, Jesse Morner, red comedian, and I was like at her coffee shop and like very anxiously trying to write out by five minutes. And uh-huh. then... um. Uh yeah, I did it, and it just went well, and that opened up, actually specifically like tangible doors. So right. like, so the woman that's now my manager Tova. approached me that night, uh-huh. and like we didn't, I wouldn't sign officially for maybe another seven months, but like we met that night, right? And then asked if I could get coffee the next day, and then through that she like kind of told me to like make a website. I encourage you to do that. Next time you're back in town, let's meet up. Yeah. I'm going to come to your shows. So then we started to like talk more and develop a relationship. And she gave me like insight about, I don't know, just like how to try to professionalize comedy. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, why continue to be very supportive and helpful. And then so like she saw you at night train. Yeah. And that, so, so basically you open up for why you get to you make you first. You went to see hosting. him. I want remember I went to see him in big. Yeah, oh, oh, oh. So you went to see him. You like, you know, it's kind of like embarrassing in a way to like ask a co- like a I comic know, that you end up becoming a kind of a peer with, you know, in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, for an autograph. But, you know, whatever you you talk to him and then you got to you got to perform with him and you already had met him once. You made the connection. He got you on a show. Yeah. You did well on the show. I mean, it really couldn't. It, that's like a very uh, efficient use it was of, very of efficient. your time, you know, like. You go to the, you go to a couple open open mics. You get recommended to to come here. Yeah. Then you get on. You it's work like your you way. really happen really everything very fast. But I don't know what that means. Well, it just means like, you know, sometimes you're like, I'm really into this comic. Can I open up for him? You open up for him, and then you know you don't. They don't say anything to you. They don't say like. Yeah, because like who cares? Some you know sometimes that sometimes I mean most com- like most headliners would probably be like if you ever in New York hit me up. Sure. But that doesn't mean like, mean like that doesn't mean they're gonna have one of the biggest shows in the in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you're gonna get on it. Right. Um, in a, a night that there's industry there, it's like. Right, and of course I was so nervous that I wanted to put every like I like every, I mean I don't even know I don't remember my set really, but I yeah. remember that I felt insane and that like I had I literally probably had six minutes that I felt really happy about and I did five uh-huh. and so it was like worked out okay. Uh huh. And I think I had just like a really manic, nervous energy that helped me deliver. Did you do well in school? No. You had in trouble some ways. in school? I yeah. had a lot of trouble in school. Yeah. Because I, uh, yeah, I've been treated for like ADHD since I was little, like little, little. Uh, okay. Like, like in Japanese preschool, right, right before I went to kindergarten. Uh-huh. Like teachers were talking to my parents. And then about like just, I had trouble with directions and stuff. You're like, I... S- I don't even know how to speak Japanese is the thing. No, it was my first language. <laughs> but I didn't, but then oh, I yeah. moved. Yeah, but, but, but. Oh, wow. Can you speak Japanese completely yeah, fluently? Yeah. It was my, so actually, so what happened is then I moved to an, for that, actually, so like, um, 
I only spoke Japanese, but my dad spoke to me in English, and I like responded in English. And I had a Filipina babysitter who spoke to me in English, and I responded to her, or, or like I understood, but I responded in Japanese. And then when I was like four, my parents moved me to uh, American school in Japan's like nursery kindergarten, which is like a kindergarten level, because uh-huh. my dad was. There's like a few concerns. Like my dad was like, "Okay, we're weirded out about how these like." Uh, um, okay, so this is how he, one. There's a lot of bullying for like mixed kids in Japan. Oh, in the Japanese yeah, public school it's system, racist. it's very racist, very xenophobic, and I think it's getting better now because there's more like yeah, national conversations yeah. about it. But like, I um, think they're trying to let in more immigrants now. Yes, if, to my understanding, there's like more that's like, happening more, especially with marriages and whatever. Yeah. But at the time, like, um, I mean, at the time, what am I talking? about? I was like a little kid, but they. Uh, so my dad was concerned about that. He was concerned I wouldn't learn English well enough. Then like. Um, so I guess I had had a very like loving preschool teacher who was Japanese in this Japanese preschool, and then the next teacher was like m- weirder and like critical of me because I had problem like following directions and basic yeah. sort of cognitive stuff. And so then I think my parents were kind of freaked out because they didn't know whether it was like about that or like a bit racial, you know. Yeah. And the then yeah, go ahead. Uh, the reason why I was asking because it's it, it oh, is because yeah. I think Sorry, it's no no. It, it's uh, you do get very, you do get very focused for a person with ADHD. But that's the thing about ADHD is there is this whole I- idea of hyperfocus, which is where you zoom in on something that, in which you excel. Rarely. Is that right? And I really struggled in school. Yeah. I've failed math classes. But you are able to focus on other things that I want to, and yeah. like certain things. So like in high school. So like ultimately. When I was, we moved to Philadelphia when I was in high school, and I really struggled. And all of my friends were like in really high, like AP classes, but I just only was in like not, like it was like in French, and I still had a hard time. I had a hard time with like. How did you do on standardized tests? Badly. Except for I took a Japanese SAT and English, like literature. And those were good. Because I'm like, I like love, but the thing is like, so then my point is the only two teachers that really, teachers like, the two teachers that really kind of clung to me as like, oh, I'm going to like help guide you. Yeah. And I like love, or like I was like a loving kind of relationship. Yeah. Where in junior year in Philadelphia, uh-huh. it was like a, she had like a, she was a doctor, whatever, whatever, Heminger. And uh, she had a you know PhD, but taught at this like well-resourced public high school in yeah. like suburban Philadelphia. Yeah. And she really was supportive to me, like uniquely. Yeah. And then my theater teacher really was like loving and supportive to me and like made like was a hard ass like she made me cry like I and that was like a whole thing I got really into theater in high school yeah because I was something that I felt like I could do well in and what did you end up majoring in in college um international relations Uh and I did okay what did you think that you wanted to do then I don't know I wanted to do like Japanese translation I studied language a lot like I studied like I took Japanese I took like more like advanced Japanese like translating like literature uh uh yeah I was like interested in that and then but I didn't really know I was like vaguely interested in foreign uh, um, service but I'm so not equipped for that like yeah, I'm so not right. equipped right no yeah so that's I true. don't know I was just taking a lot of language and like humanities classes in undergrad and then um, so I took so I, yeah I took like further Japanese classes in college and then um, I took French and Arabic and Mandarin and then my junior year of college, I was like in Japan, like at a university, like out in the like, like the boonies. Mm-hmm. So that was really intense because like, 
I was the only American exchange student, and so the only other. It was like my first time since preschool at a fully Japanese institution because I and after when I as I was four I went to like international schools there where I was taught in English. Yeah. And then my parents told me that I like switched very quickly into like an English mindset because I my mom will say like yeah you were like mean to your Japanese friends in the neighborhood because they didn't speak English and you like wanted to be like the American kids yeah, that's at fucked kindergarten. Up. I know it's fucked up. Turn your back on your people. Yeah, and my mom doesn't. She like still talks about that to that's this day. That's funny. But how do you think that 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 language part has impacted your ability to do stand up? I don't know. I love language. I think I have a v- like a my dad's an ESL professor. Uh-huh. And he's very good with language. Because I was I I, f- I was talking to someone recently about stand up and about how maybe, maybe it's Benji about oh, cool. how um how other languages just the things that are funny in English, yeah. like sarcasm oh, I remember and this. exaggeration and ah, metaphors and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not necessarily the uh, just the way the other languages are, sh- are structured. They don't necessarily work the same way. And, and they don't the same types of like structured joke. If you just translate it into another language and then say it. It doesn't make people laugh. It doesn't mean the same thing. It doesn't. And he was talking about with the, he was talking about that experience with um, the Finnish comic. Yeah, yeah. The Scandinavian. Was, what's yeah. so funny is that actually, my mom like loves that guy, it, uh, and I think his I think he's very interesting. But what he does is it's like a very Ismo. specific Ismo Ismo right, and he has like a very interesting take on it. And we're uh, so my point is like yeah, I agree. Listening to your conversation with Benji, I was like I think stand up as we understand it is very American mm-hmm. and I really like I have I think what introduced me to comedy is like British humorists but that I don't even know if that's what I like love right now yeah American sorry go ahead I think that you I mean I don't know for sure what it, I mean you could be just um, a native English speaker and, and come up with the what the, your material now and the way you talk now but the the way that you write is unusual it is a little different than other people so I, I mean i think that that probably i'm my guess would be that your background did influence that and that it is coming across when you're on stage and you're you are you are speaking in a slightly different way and that does make you more interesting than other people but it makes it harder like but yes a it lot. does make it harder like <laughs> like brutally at the same time absolutely yeah because it makes you unique but it also it's harder for the audience to latch on to things. And sometimes the audience can be confused by you. And I look weird. I don't look like a comic. I, I, I think you it's carry like yourself in an unusual way. <laughs> and it, uh, it's really actually speaking of Benji, this is okay. Sorry. I'm kind of jumping around, but we went, we, what's been fun this summer is that I've traveled with a bunch of Benji to do different shows around. So uh-huh. we went to Boston and like the first show we did together was fun. Both of us had a good time. One show we did in particular, I was excited about, but I really struggled and I had to follow Benji who like destroyed with yeah. like a, like a, it was a very kind of like downtown Boston, just like, yeah. um, I don't want to say normie, but just like Boston crowd. Right. Uh-huh. And Benji and like, but they were like down for a good time and Benji d- had a wonderful set. And then I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to try to like ride off of this. At that point I felt like I like could use like clubby muscles that I, you know, I've been working on and I really, I struggled to the point that this is so funny. Um, 
to you know when like you know the experience of having like a weirder set and then somebody that you know like your friends with had a better set and then people are like complimenting that person and then you might just kind of like politely step away right <laughs> yes so literally like <laughs> this is so funny we were in this place and then people were like obsessed with benji they want to talk to him and then and the irony is that uh i had got this spot but he was like a guest spot because i kept pushing the people to put him on yeah and he had a he like blew the roof buried you (laughs) buried me and the crowd did not know what to do with me that's what i know that's what i got and then it was so funny like two exchanges like one thing where like they were like really into benji and then the woman turned to me and she was like you were awesome but in like a very like patronizing patronizing way you know and then there was like another exchange like that and i was had later had a conversation with benji and he was like i think either people want to love you right away or they like are skeptical and i think there's a lot there i talk with women comics about that the experience of like feeling the audience pull away as soon as like they realize it's a woman but i think it's also kind of like with comic to comic it's also more individual i think you have a double version of that where you have to face going on stage as a woman first of all sure that's before you say anything before any words come out when you walk on stage, you you have to you got to overcome that what judgment from all all different angles. And one of the most relieving things is being able to talk to women comics about that specific thing. Of course, of thing. course. So then, after that, even on, so so they you're you're kind of kind of overcome that issue, and then you're also an unusual personality. <laughs> you're different. You're you're yeah. different from other women. You know. The sure. even so even the expectation yeah. they might have uh, uh, of you as a woman is quickly thrown off because they're like oh well, i don't what i don't know what this is it, right it can be and it's hard yes and i, I think though so well i don't think you necessarily have to do anything other than just slowly get, get better. better yeah and like for benji he, the advantage of being benji is that he can go up in any room and he can pretty much do his stand up and people will understand it quickly and it is a style that is effective in most types of rooms yes he's a wonderful performer strong writer oh i forgot the other point to what this is what benji said he said yeah when i go on i'm at like neutral because i'm like a dude but not that he's like i don't know if actually that's true i mean he's very unique i think he has a unique style but and he's like very uh, I th- yeah, I mean, uh, whatever. What do you think? I think that he's a convention, but his style is conventional. He he is a unique person, yes, but his very. style is conventional style. But he's figured out how to sort of channel whatever his perspective is. He's good is at it. I that. mean, he's doing a good job. He's yeah. doing a great version yeah. of conventional stand-up. And there are advantages and disadvantages of it. And the advantages he can go in and he can he can do well and he's going to do well in a lot better mm-hmm. in a lot more situations than you will just because yes, I, I know that sometimes you're going to run into the resistance the flip side of that is you stand out much more on any show that you're on because you're so different from other people it's, and it really the difference is isn't being a woman or being mixed race yeah, or being yeah. born in japan i mean the difference is you're saying wacky stuff, <laughs> you know, you say you, you speak in an unusual way on stage and the things that you're thinking to make jokes about are often unusual. And that is refreshing and people like it 
But sometimes certain groups of people aren't ready for it. And, and then you just have that's just part of it. You when know? I get upset, like if I have a weird set, I wish that I just could like do whatever. You know, I wish uh, that yeah, I was like, Yeah, of course, yes, the grass is greener. Know? Yeah, yeah. I wish I was just a regular comic. I constantly I try to even But look at where you are. <laughs> look at where it's taken you. <laughs> but that's it's an, I don't you've had a faster rise than Benji. Sure. And I'm glad that he's finally I don't mean to make this about like mind Benji's. No, like, no, I, I, I know, but it's a great it's a great comparison because he is a more experienced comic. Yeah, he is. And he's a very, very strong performer. Yes. And yet you are getting more opportunities due to the fact that you just happen to be a unique person. You're not trying to be weird for the sake of doing it. It's no, naturally that how sucks you are when you watch that kind of thing. Of course you know? it is. Of course it is. So and that's I'm why you're conscious about that, though. I think but I think that's why you are you are finding success. And I think that's why the people are responding to you because it is genuine and it is interesting. And that's nice. It's nice to have something. There's so much comedy now. There's so much stand up that it's really nice to hear something that's a little bit different. I I feel like. Right. And so now maybe I'm like 10 months in New York and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, I feel like part of me wants to figure out a sort of formulaic way to like, um, like if you think about when you watch like a fun late night set on TV that goes well, yeah, often it sort of adheres to like a formula of like, absolutely. Hello, this is me. Like maybe if they're mixed race, I like talk about that. And I have those jokes. I'm so bored by my version of those jokes, but I feel Uh like sometimes I have to do it for the audience to even understand. Otherwise they're like, what the fuck? Well, you know, I think like you, you know what you don't want to do, which you wouldn't do, but you don't want to go. I'm half black and half Japanese. So when I do this, it's like that. But when I do that, it's like this, you know, that's what you want to avoid. Worried about, but when you're talking about, putting what do you talk about <laughs> putting locust uh, oh that's an old bit. shells but on your like a real part clothes of japan like is that what is that what it it's is an old joke. i haven't done it in a bit but like yes it was about putting a uh, cricket yeah locust uh, uh cicada cicada sorry shells on my shirt and that that is tied to as like a real like memory ornaments on your shirt yeah that's a very bizarre thing to say <laughs> so no like no one's like what is this hack shit it's more like what the fuck what is this person talking about which but that's it but that's good if you right. can if it can be funny if you can talk about something that is strange like that and then get people to laugh at it that's great that's a great position to be in so two of my favorite people to watch right now i think are like so odd but they're brilliant i think like um like daniel simonson and then uh-huh. also like joe Mackey are like odd right they also have kind of unique jokes i mean whatever they're like very distinct from each other in their own ways they're like odd and when you watch them destroy in front of like a club audience it's like um the audience is either kind of getting them and like down to fuck with whatever it is or on the other end of the spectrum they're like i don't know what this guy's about but i think it's funny like what the hell and i like that idea and i think that's my only way into like figuring out how to be more accessible but i feel like i'm still trying to learn you know when so when you watch those guys does it does that just like reassure you that it's okay to be unusual and you can still be successful is that what you're saying 
Or are you mm, saying that they that they're able to reach people while being unusual? That's what I think is. I don't know if like reassures the word that strikes me. Okay. It's almost like they've figured it out for themselves respectively. Uh-huh. But I also I mean, also they're both like men and they're both white and they adhere to like a structure. What kind of resistance do you think you get on stage being a woman? I just don't think people think I'm a gonna be funny. Like okay. I don't have that look. So you you like if somebody get, has like a bunch of credits and yeah. then they go on stage, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The audience is like, "Ooh, I bet this is going to be good." And they're kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But I have no and you're credits. you're like the opposite. I'm literally the opposite. No credits, but also like a negative stereotype in their mind, right? Yeah. Of a, of a woman doing comedy. Because I'm like um I don't know. I just like already have like a weird <laughs> I'm like kind of have a nervous energy. Yeah. But I and I struggle sometimes with convincing the audience that I'm fine. Yeah. This is just... It is like a thing. Uh, when you watch Madi on stage, yeah. Madi will start off with a weird energy a lot of times. And you can feel the audience being uncomfortable. In a, and mm-hmm. what happens is in his successful sets, he instills confidence in them just by not being freaked out by it. He stays confident in the weirdness and eventually yes. the and also will break out great jokes and the jokes will lead to that more confidence. Throw people very off guard and they're very interested. Yeah. And then once he starts getting big laughs off those jokes, then they're like, oh, then they totally change how they feel about him. And he can get the room like rolling. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you kind of have that. You have that as far as the energy goes and the the, the audience really not um, being sure. I think when like. Yeah, so a few things. One, I dare say this. It's like I still think it's easier because to like. I still think it's easier for, and I'm of this person too. If you see a white guy being weird on stage, then you're like, oh, I still trust them. Uh huh. But I think if you see like a little woman on stage, it's like, oh, is she nervous? Is she okay? Like, I don't really believe. I don't really know. Oh, and I like, and I know uh, this like they're I'm, sympathetic. I've been in audiences too, so it's like sympathetic. And so there's something I think a lot of different kinds of women comedians will talk about the sort of like patronizing like, woo, you got, yeah. you know, if something doesn't hit they're like you got it, like that kind well, of from laugh, women, from women. And it's the worst because it's like, n- no, do you, feel, uh, you feel like it's not a fully genuine. It's support? not genuine unless you come out crushing up top. And uh-huh. so I've talked to people. This is actually the funny thing, too, because literally women and then also just like white men in comedy have talked to me about like. Yeah, you know, like women, like somebody recently was talking to me about that. Like a white guy was like, kind of, I was like talking to me about this phenomenon, which I experience all the time, which is like, yeah, if I went up saying your material, they would accept it much more easily. But like, I don't think that's true at all. You don't think it's true? No. What do you mean? Your material? Not specifically, maybe erase the stuff that's specifically like, Racial or gendered. I don't even talk about gender that much. No, no. I just think but that like, your material is unique to you. And I think that anyone else saying it would sound insane. Oh. <laughs> A girl, I can only hope, right? But like, um, uh, that's really funny. I, I no, no. I truly believe that. I, I mean, I think I mean, if, if, if you just took, if Eddie went up and said your material, I, I think that people would look, like a, look at him like he was crazy. But I don't know. I'm still figuring out. Okay, so I had a conversation with somebody who was like a white male headliner, and he was like, yeah, you're right. As like women comics, 
it's like you have to kind of go on and like come out with like a quick thing up top for the audience to trust that you're funny yeah and i'm figuring and i have certain things that i go to but i'm bored of those and i need to write new ones and i'm still like figuring it out when you're in the beginning of your set do you have like a timer in your head where you're like okay it's a little bit weird right yes. now and then you're like i gotta find a way to connect with them within a certain amount of time i have that because like, otherwise i don't have them right yeah R i really don't yeah and i think that's a thing that other people don't have to worry about as much with that oh, that yeah. kind of like i have to make sure i find a way to connect with the audience and i'm jealous of it yeah, because like I, because you know, I used to do it like in a really robotic way where oh, okay, I would just kind of say the jokes and I just they were written in a way that I knew that as long as I was delivering them in rhythm, eventually they would start working. And Eddie is kind of that way when he's like really like in the zone oh, when he gets yeah. into his rhythm, yeah, he'll just hit them with that rhythm. Yes, and it'll just he knows as long as he just gets it going they'll come along with it and he has a very kind of sharp yeah. clear, like distinct rhythm yeah. yeah and that's like a it's just a kind of a trick to make the audience but you yeah. know you're not relying on any tricks at all but you I'm know you're really just <laughs> out there you know so i don't know i don't know i'm still kind of figuring out I, when i had a buzz cut for like a year i feel like i looked extra weird so i had to that's another thing you can't you have drastic changes in oh your yeah because i'll get like braids my hair's getting longer now yeah but i feel like when i have braids like extensions in it changes how i feel on stage like it changes you what i can look do. totally different and i love having braids on stage because i feel like even if i'm getting tired of them on my head i love them on stage because like um it's like another arm or something. I can like whip them around. Like I like making weird faces. Oh, really? You know what I mean? I get like like hiding behind my braids. I like the way that they fall in front of my face. Oh, it's, an I, like, it's another it. thing to play with. Yeah, and I really like that. But it doesn't mean I always like. Do you want think them. that people like your like uh, respond to your jokes differently if you have a uh, buzz cut versus if you have like braids down to the middle of your back? I think so. And now I, I just generally so have like fluffy hair that's getting longer, but it's basically like whatever. You now you're kind of in between. In between and like. Um, I don't know. I definitely feel it's different from when I have braids. I think, wait, wait, Sean, this is, I hope you don't mind that I'm going to bring this up, but I remember this really vividly. It was like at a point where my hair got long enough to get braids like one time. And then you were like, oh, you joked with me. It was at Wonderland. Mm -hmm. You were like, oh, now I have to put you on it. And previously I'd had this like haircut that was like kind of short and it was like buzzed on the sides. And like, that was like, I had that for a while. Uh -huh. And then I had, and I got these like braids that I guess reached my shoulders and you were like, oh, now I have to like count you on the lineup as a black comic because you like look like a black person. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah you really, that was funny. You re it really made a difference because like <laughs> it, it is a weird thing and I, I'm like really, I mean, it's an awkward thing to talk about. No, but, uh, whatever. But it's, it's um, you know, I really try to put myself in the audience's place uh -huh. and and try well, to experience what they're experiencing and obviously d different types of audience members are experiencing the show in a different way and you can see the reactions to different types of group of people when different types of comedians go on stage yeah and i think compelling. that compelling. you know dc has a lot of i mean there is a lot of racial tension in dc mm -hmm. and uh, you know for yeah. the most part everybody is like in a good mood and are just going out but it's yeah, still yeah, there yeah, kind of yeah. under the surface and it and um, when they're, 
you know, there there are black comedians who are have like essentially been raised in white neighborhoods. Yeah. And they have, you know, more or less through. more or less white culture, right? And so when you're listening to them talk, you know, you're kind of like they're essentially talking about what a white comic would be talking about on stage. Sure, but with like maybe a slightly different slant, but you're right. The perspective yeah. is like, like... Yeah, like Simone, for example, uh-huh. you know, just because we were talking about him earlier, you know, he really goes all out talking about all the ways that he's very white and, and he's, he he's not he's not a he's not a, like a very black person and that's right, and that right, is right. like a genuine thing that he's dealing with where he has to feel like he's not you know maybe he's not being as black as he should be and that's like a kind of self-satire yeah yeah but you know it, at the same time it also does serve the purpose of like he's he's like uh, trying to make the white audience comfortable with it in a yeah, way you know right. like Right, um, and right. I think that that bothers some black audience members. Yes. And I think it, not so much that it bothers them, but it's just like they want to see like a, they want to see like someone really speak to like what they're saying. And like they want yeah. someone that they can relate to, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that when you have if you when when you when you're looking real alternative, you know, you look like you live in Brooklyn and you <laughs> hang out with lots of white people. Sure. Yeah. And then when you have those braids and they're long, you look like a black woman. I look like you know everybody would. You know, you get categorized completely differently, even though you're the same person. It's just this little thing. Yeah, it's it's unusual, and it it affects the people how people react to you. I think. And I think it's still white. Even white people are. I can I can feel it at this point. Like I can tell. Like based on, I feel like when I started and I was here, and remember I remember Capital Laughs too. Like early, it was like another underground comedy room that was available early on capital lounge Cap- oh forgive me shit that's okay. oh that's kind of bizarre like 40 and political thing anyway yeah, capital yeah. lounge right uh-huh. capital hilaria that was really fun but i wore that I was a great show wearing yeah. li- and I'm, i like the audience because i feel like I, that was a really fun show I, I i whenever i think of that show i miss it yes i miss it too actually comics miss it and i think the audience because it was actually like the heritage heritage foundation it was like truly a mixed audience you got like bros and just like random, uh-huh. yeah, there were know, some bros, thirty-something black couples. Like you got like some. Yeah, there were a lot of black couples. There were. There. Yeah, it, it was such an interesting crowd. It I was you, like. Yeah, yeah, on Capitol Hill and H Street, you get a lot of like middle-aged black couples that, that are just kind of out to have yeah, dinner or something. Yeah, and it makes and they're for good audience members. And it shaped people, fa- well, I think. Uh, definitely. And I would wear. I feel like I'd wore like weirder shit early on, and then I kind of. I think that just like. I grew out of, like it like didn't work for me because it was just like, too, uh-huh. like, I felt like I just had to look like, I don't know. I actually I talk about this a lot with like even women in DC, like just like the journey of like how you figure out what works for you on stage to wear, and like that's a whole other conversation. I think like more broadly among women comics, but like um, anyway, I remember that audience in particular because it was kind of just like more of a straight laced audience, and sometimes they were just like bros that like maybe more right-leaning bros my theory is that the current administration has like changed even like big on audiences a bit so that it brings in more of that especially during the summer and that i think in turn shapes how comics then try to, d- to connect and i struggle yeah but also when it works it's like interesting yes for sure we're up at the comedy cellar you moved to New York. Yeah. You got a chance to audition <laughs> yeah. to uh, f- 
for to be on uh, to get past at the comedy cellar. Yeah, yes. And you got past. Yeah. And my mom came. My mom traveled from Philly to the audition with my aunt. How has that? How do you think the audiences are at the comedy cellar compared to Big Hunt? They're older, but not all, not exclusively older, but generally older. What kind of reaction do you get compared to the reaction you get here? I think there's a range. Uh huh. I think it took me. You think it's e- harder for you? It's harder because it's not the city that I. It's not the city it's and venue where I trained. Yeah. But also, it can be really rewarding uh-huh. when it works. Yeah. So it's a lot of like. Mm, okay, it's like. People just like in New York who are like around and have a good time, but generally more straight laced people, not exclusively, but just like sort of professionals or NYU people because uh-huh. it's close to NYU, right? Right. Obviously, a big chunk of just sort of like middle America tourists who are like in town for whatever reason, they know about the cellar, they want to have a good time. Also, like international tourists, and that's like another element, right? Yeah, the international, yeah. I think Big Hunt has a version of all of that. Yeah, but it's a little different. There, though. it's older and the trust it's just like a different energy it's a more intense type of tourist i think particularly in every way whether it's international tourist somebody from somewhere and they're yeah. just in town for family vacation bizarrely actually the woman so like my f- my the first time after my audition the first time i was like on mm-hmm. and it went like fine it went like well i, I think i was like okay Brittany, get more comfortable next time yeah but then um like the next day I was like wandering around somewhere downtown and lower like Manhattan. And then I ran into a couple that happened to be there and they're from Hawaii where I lived for a while, like in college. Yeah. And they happened to be like, Hey, you're that comedian. And they were really sweet. And specifically the woman was like, yeah, we went there, but our daughter who's in town for an internship was like cynical about it. Cause she was like, Oh, comedy. So misogynistic. Like I'm not going to go to the comedy cellar. Oh, wow. And then they were like, but we went to tell her about you and that was like interesting because they don't really represent like the general tourists yeah, there yeah, either. That is. I think, but I do think the comedy comedy seller is making an effort to try to yes. make it less bro and like, I can, and, s- I and know less, that it, I can see not, it. I don't even know that I would call it bro It's more just like old white dudes it's and it is bros. Dudes. Yeah. It's all black dudes and they're all yeah, dudes, excellent. They know, dudes, how, yeah. dudes. they know how to do it. And also like the women, I think I'm like, I don't know, one of the younger women there. I don't really know. Yeah, I, I feel too shy. Yeah, to like you're really definitely talk about one it. of the younger women. But sure. Like, you're brand new there. You just got there. Yeah. And I feel like a baby. Like, I f- it feels like crazy. Yeah. I feel like like a fetus. <laughs> but it's like going encouragingly. Have you had to, like, change the your approach? Yeah. Up there? What, what like, do, it took you, me like what, a week. do you think about it differently when you're when you're going to go up at the cellar? Well, two thoughts one is like just the caliber of comics on it are so high right yeah and so comfortable there generally uh-huh. generally right yeah sometimes it's nice to be share a lineup with somebody who just got passed with me but then also the rest of the, the my little like school of people that just got in it are like all dudes so they just kind of like have generally i like a more comfortable presence and the audience knows how yeah. to make sense of them more quickly yeah but then um so anyway, Denise Taylor text. She like asked me. She was like, "Do you think it's helping your writing?" And I've just been there for about six weeks, so I don't know if that's the case yet. I'm like more so. I think right now, it's making me. I'm still trying to craft a seller set. Yeah. Where I can establish confidence 
early and just try to sell my best stuff that I've ever written ever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure ultimately it will help my writing, but not in a way that I'm aware of yet. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I don't under- know what that No, looks that like. makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense that your, your first... Your first order of business getting up there is fitting in, right? And I don't n- quite know what that is, but I've managed. And I mean, fitting in on stage on these showcases and just settling in. And the funny thing is, like, I don't have credits, so like, I was telling you, like, the hosts will always be like, "Oh, what do you want me to say?" And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know." Performs around New York, yeah. And so then, obviously, again, like, nobody really listens, but I don't have like an like a clear, concrete like TV thing. No. So I'm just this like kind of odd looking lady so it's been really fun sometimes where it's like um really exciting for me because i figure it out Uh uh-huh but it took like a week and a half that's not very long at all but then so between the different rooms Okay, I feel like Villa. I remember when Joyelle Johnson was on this podcast, and she said that her favorite, one of her favorite rooms in New York in general, was the Village Underground because uh-huh. it's like a big space. It's very like pizzazzy. Yeah. I think there's like a live music often, and it's like very like it's like a yeah. production. It makes you like want to perform. The Comedy Cellar is it's not that much bigger than Big Hunt. It's a little bit bigger, but it's kind of like a restauranty, barry feel. Yeah. And then Village Underground's next to it, and that feels like a comedy club. It That's feels, a big club. It feels like when you go out to different cities around the country. Yeah, it's just a big and club. And they have more space for a club. Right. And it feels like, okay, I have a few, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, but there in particular, and I'll get to my point, related to Joyelle's comment. And I understand why Joyelle said that she loves Village Underground, because like one of the things that, I maybe a weekend there, I was like, oh yeah, comedy is supposed to be fun. And the one that hit me was literally... When the audience is filing in, they were playing the sequence from the movie Singing in the Rain. Uh, and then there's like a song like, make him laugh, make him laugh. And it's like a very slapsticky but like classic movie scene uh-huh. where this guy's like, I forgot the actor's name, but he's like running around. He's like doing a whole slapsticky dance bit. Okay. About, you know, the whole lyric is make him laugh. Yeah. And they play it to kind of like a cheeky commentary on what the show was, right? Yeah. And I remember, and I like got into that movie when I was a kid, and I remember like watching it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, you're supposed to be fine. You're supposed to be funny. I'm a clown." And I like had to remember that because I had been so anxious. It is hard to remember. It's hard to remember, and I know why Joyelle likes that room because it's like a big showy room. But I think at this point, my favorite room, probably of the three cellar spaces, is the original cellar, which I think I was initially most intimidated by. Yeah. Because that's what we saw on Louis and everything. Of course, of course. But it's like an intimate room, low ceiling. Yeah, yeah. You can see the audience. If you crush, the acoustics are great. Yeah. And so that's kind of my current, speaking in terms of like little goals, it's like my current goal is like, okay, I got more comfortable in this space. My ultimate goal is to get more comfortable in the Village Underground. And I think I've done fine to well there, but I don't think I figured it out. But that's like my next goal. Yeah. And then the third room is Fat Black Pussycat, which, which is, is 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 kind of a most unusual space of the three of them. It's kind of high ceilings. It's kind of loungy yeah, feeling. It's, it's kind of like pretty. Yeah, it's kind of it doesn't feel like a comedy space, really. And I think I've had a range of sets there from like strong. Like that's where my audition was. And that yeah. went well. And then my Clusterfest audition. Obviously, I didn't get that. But that went like, well, it was fun. And that was like a good audience. And then 
I've had other. That's where the new jokes night is, where you yeah. get to do newer stuff. Yeah. And the first time I did it, it was like harder for me, but the audience is kind of down to like hear what you want to say. So that's like an interesting space, I think. It seemed like you did have like a kind of a really intentional attitude when you were going up there about how you were going to approach these oh. sets and these different yeah. auditions and things when when you had those opportunities. Here's what I feel like. Okay, here's what I think. Places like Big Hunt, for example, help train people to like figure out how to connect with different audiences. Like not just like like I love a like a I love a like a cute Brooklyn audience. Like I love yeah, it. Yeah. Obviously that's my comfort zone. Uh -huh. But also I feel like I've been able to experience not that, which I think has been really helpful because then you figure out and like other places in DC too, where you figure out how to like shift gears. Like a gear right. a gear like, okay, I can like enter a more clubby and version of myself. And I'm still finding out, I think, for myself what that looks like. But I've developed it. And this year I've been, like, going to more clubs around the country. And that's been helpful, too. Yeah. And so, like, just to host or feature or whatever. But, it, like, um, I think there it's, like, you can see people who have had that kind of training and who have not. Yeah. Among com among people who are auditioning or whatever. Right. People who have like really had to push themselves and compete in the past. Yeah. And so and I like that space. It's intimate. I guess if the ideal comedy space is one with low ceilings that's kind of dark and feels like a little cave, the original solid room is like seems like it's the best. Yeah. And I like I like watching in any of those. I mean, that's kind of the crazy thing being there is like I, I haven't really processed the idea that I get to just like watch all this comedy for free and they're like masters. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. Get to see these people kind of fuck around and like definitely also destroy and it's like, what am I do? Like yeah, it feels yeah. silly, but it's amazing to watch and very inspiring. What, what advice would you give to younger comics who are who are starting out now and they're they're like, they're oh. just. They're just, like, trying to get into the better shows. I think what's helped me this whole time and continues to help me is, like, thinking about everything in little goals. Because I really distinctly remember, okay, like, okay, I, I, like, did my first open mic. And then I came here for the first time. But it was a bit until, then my first, then a milestone for me was, like, not having to do a bringer show. But then I remember really distinctly the first time, my, my, I remember thinking, I want to do a show that's not an open mic. Yeah. And I didn't have 10 minutes, but I did 10 minutes at like a brunch. It was uh -huh. like a Rich Bennett brunch show in Shaw. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was such a big deal to me because it was like... That's funny. I managed to do 10 minutes and it wasn't like an open mic. 10 minutes is hard the first time you do it. Yeah, it feels like forever. It does. And then my goal was to get on like... I mean, again, the comedy landscape in DC has changed. At that time, I really my goal was to get on like Church Night, which was like a really fun, yeah, well done variety comedy yeah, show. Yeah, variety show. And then I did it, and that went well. And then they asked me to do it again for like the following Christmas show. And you're like and busy. My, yeah, no, but <laughs> no, no, my goal was like to have a new ten minutes, which yeah. I can't even do that anymore. It's a lot harder to get a new ten minutes once you when get a really it. good ten minutes. So then, when your first ten minutes is like whatever. It's not that hard to get another whatever ten minutes. Because then you're minutes. just growing quickly anyway. I yeah. think Generally, so I think the thing, and even and like New York was really hard a lot. Like I had to do those very difficult mics where it's like a culture shock from DC's thing. But I think okay, here's I guess my advice would be, 
to make it less overwhelming, because comedy is hard, and the growth process is hard, think about it in little steps. And once you attain a little goal, the first time you host, the first time you get to host it somewhere, or the first time you get to do a 15 minutes, like clock that and then sort of process that and like think about what's your next goal. Okay, like what do you want to attain next? Do you want to send, find a sharp tape to send to a, like a festival? Yeah. A nice, I, one summer I submitted to a bunch of festivals, didn't get anything. And then last year was like a strong year of festivals for me, summer. So then it's like that's feasible, but just narrow it into little goals. And then I think also like if you move forward or move to a new city, don't be too big for the shitty shows or open mics. Like you have to do it yeah. and do your best and be nice. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great attitude. I, I think that having that attitude has like served you really well throughout this entire process i i hope so and I, I think you've competed really hard at the times when you had to when you have those big shows you have those big moments you focus you work hard and you know it really mattered to you and you didn't try to protect your yourself by not caring or not trying fully because i've seen that i feel like and yeah. it's really disappointing yeah it's very common just uh, reaction uh, natural yeah. very human natural uh -huh, i mean uh -huh, uh -huh. I, I, and i could see myself doing that but i think just like don't yeah try to channel everything and like remember i think the thing too that i forget that i want to remind myself too is advice to personally is like remember what you find funny that's uniquely yours and only you have that and like try to deliver that even if you're not even if other people are long have been doing comedy so much longer than you try to remember what you find funny and when i've been able to connect with that that's been exceedingly helpful in ways that i like have never dreamt i love that thanks well, Sean. thanks so much for doing it Brittany. thank you for having me all right i'm really grateful good night bye for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com